Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? I wonder sometimes if people can hear the smile that cracks my face every single time I say hello, Baltimoreans. I really enjoy it. <laughs> I'm really happy to like. I'm happy to be able to talk to y'all this week. Alan Smith, you have a sunny personality, and I think that radiates here through the microphone and out into the ears of uh, Baltimoreans Nation. And Baltimoreans Nation, uh, we should add, is now a proud flagship member of the Baltimore Sports Report Nation. Yes, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, go over to BaltimoreSportsReport.com, click on Network, and you can find us, along with our Sister Wife podcasts, as part of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, a very exciting new venture that we are excited to be a part of. And then since you got your click and finger ready, you should also click on over to BeMorons.com which is the new uh, direction to find our old website. <laughs> yes, same website. So you won't, you won't see anything too crazy new there, but Be Morons is a much easier thing to get to, I think. If you were one of the number of our listeners that we suspect exist who really wanted to go to our website, but were so excited <laughs> to type in the URL that you forgot how to spell or couldn't figure out how to spell baltimoreonspodcast.com, which is a lot of letters to put in. It's a mouthful. When you're going to a website that you really shouldn't be going to anyway, because it's you're at work probably and you have things <laughs> you're supposed to be doing. So now just go to bemorons.com. That's the letter B in the word morons. And you can find uh, when you get there how to follow us on Twitter, how to contact us via email, and how to leave us a voicemail about your thoughts on anything at all that you hear on the program today. And speaking of the program today, we got a ripe one for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're going to talk That's to you. That's ripe in the positive sense for those keeping track at home. Ah, uh, yes, I'm talking uh, about like a like a buxom peach. Buxom mm. is not. Nope, nope. Go with it. It's okay. a buxom peach. Like a buxom peach, uh, not like a um, not like a trash can that needs to be changed. Anyway, we're going to talk about instant replay. We are going to talk to you about the brewing brewing um, coffee of the DH. Um, <laughs> A lot of a lot of questions How about, about the revolving door that is the continued Orioles DH position. There you go, uh, and then we're going to talk to our good friend Matt Freed about the Charlie Manuel situation over there in Philadelphia. Matt Freed, a certified um, fanatic. Oh, that Philadelphia Phillies variety fanatic. Now, you, you, I kept that in my pocket. This is all going to make sense when you listen <laughs> to the interview. Uh, basically, we couldn't figure out what Phillies fans call themselves. But first, Alan, what episode are we on? Sam, uh, on last week's show, we had a little bit of a discussion, as you just alluded to, about the book Field of Schemes mm -hmm. uh, and about the ways in which professional sports owners are continuing to keelhull their respective cities with absurd demands on taxpayers. Isn't it ironic, then, that here on episode 63, we happen to coincide with the first day of work on the Jacksonville Jaguars complex after the team agreed to terms with the city of Jacksonville to undertake approximately $63 million in major enhancements to Everbank Field. Now, this work will include 
two new Endzone video scoreboards that will be the largest of their kind in the world. For those of you keeping track at home, that means they're going to be a tasteful 55 feet by 301 feet. That, that is tasteful. Which means that if you were to stand on one side of this monstrosity <laughs> and stare across it to the far corner, you would be looking approximately 306 feet away. This, in turn, means that the new Jacksonville Jaguars stadium screen from end to end is longer than the shortest home run in professional baseball. <laughs> By a scant four feet, it is easier to hit a baseball out in Fenway Park around the pesky pole than it is to hit a baseball across the new stadium infrastructure that the taxpayers of Jacksonville, Florida have just donated to their professional football team. Now, this, in turn... <laughs> Interestingly enough, is exactly 100 feet shorter than the average home run distance hit by Chris Davis in his 45 homers so far this year, which, when you consider the moonshots he's capable of putting up there, really puts the whole giant screen thing into horrifying perspective. And yes, perspective is a cruel joke of a word to use in this situation. Now, in the defense of the ownership of the Jacksonville Jaguars, I am envisioning a, a pretty fun cross-promotion where they have uh, David Ortiz come in <laughs> and try to hit a baseball from one end of the scoreboard <laughs> to the other. Now, here's a funny thing about the Jacksonville, ja Jacksonville Jaguars before we move on, is that they were so bad for the last couple of years that they have been uh, unable to get anyone to come and watch their games. Mm. Um, and they've been so bad that they've been considering putting up on these giant screens NFL Red Zone which tracks wow. all of the games that are happening around the league, any team that's in 20 yards or less of the, of the end zone. Wow. So basically, they're trying to, with installing these giant screens, counter the I would like to stay at home and watch all of the game's highlights at once on my couch by saying, come to the game, don't worry about Jacksonville Jaguars, just watch the big screens. <laughs> If you are going to stay home and watch the game on TV, why not pay a lot of money right. to come here and watch it on TV and be overcharged for refreshments? I mean, it's a win-win. It really, really is. And on this day in history, <laughs> 201 years ago, in the War of 1812, American frigate USS Constitution defeated the British frigate HMS Guerrero off the coast of Nova Scotia, Canada, earning the nickname Old Ironsides. Hmm. Amazingly enough, this ship is still in active duty, having emerged in 2012 after three years of repair to sail gloriously round the Boston Harbor and even out to sea on the bicentennial of the War of 1812. Hmm. It should be noted that the ship did take a 116-year break in there somewhere, which is about as long as if you were to serve all of the different suspensions end to end to end to end to end coming out of the current biogenesis scandal. <laughs> I so, bet that math actually almost works out. <laughs> not really, but... Not that I'm suggesting you didn't run the numbers ahead of time. Uh, but it, it, is, it is amazing to think that, um, that a, a ship built in 1810 or so was able to uh, have a 116-year layoff and come back and be productive. Um, I don't think that Alex Rodriguez will do as well after 211 games off. No, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Although I, I am comfortable referring to him as old Ironsides. <laughs> particularly because he has two fake hips. And been plunked repeatedly. Oh, I love this. Alan, this is officially my favorite introduction of all time. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, 
uh, as as we alluded to at the beginning of the program, um, uh, you probably saw this in the news that Major League Baseball uh, has all but confirmed that they are planning to drastically expand the use of instant replay next year. Now, I I was thinking about this and trying to decide how I feel about it. And <laughs> while I was doing that, uh, something about the game of baseball that I think goes a little bit unheralded occurred to me. And I, Alan, I wonder if you've noticed this. Mm. Um, can you name for me another major league sport in the United States where the manager or head coach wears the on-field uniform of the team in curling (laughs) major league curling (laughs) well olympic curling how about that (laughs) no no you can't do it it's amazing can't be done It, it doesn't happen in soccer no it doesn't happen in hockey it doesn't happen in football it doesn't happen in basketball but in baseball we ask these 65 year old <laughs> pear shaped men who <laughs> can barely get out of the way of a foul ball hit towards the first base coach's box to suit up as though they were going to go out on the field and play. And that's ridiculous <laughs> when you think it about really it. Is. That is absolutely ridiculous. It, it is. would make much more sense if they did what they do in the other sports where they wear a suit or they wear. Uh, the colors, but uh, nothing indicating that, um, you, you know, they might actually get out there and, and contribute on the field. And the fact that they do this in baseball is, to me, what is really, really fantastic about the game. Mm. Because the things that are fantastic about baseball are the things that don't make sense. <laughs> Here's another thing that I think is wonderful <laughs> about baseball and doesn't make sense. We've talked about this on the show before, but it really bears repeating. There are no rules governing the size and shape of the field. See the pesky pole. See mentioned the pesky just a pole. Ago. See the green monster. See the see the the brick wall in the uh, in the in right field in AT and T Park in San Francisco. Or that little hillock in the middle of the Astros Park. Yes, and the one that to me always comes up is the the massive amount of foul territory in Oakland, which makes it much. It has a measurable effect on the game. Because all those all those pop-ups that you hear the TV play. announcer say, oh, that's in amongst the spectators, those are in play and those get caught. So if we're going to have a game where we accept these ridiculous incongruities, why can we not accept the incongruity that sometimes the umpires are going to blow a call? Mm. Why can't we do that? I think the, the, the idea that we're somehow, by putting instant replay into the game, going to equalize the, the competition is, is silly. Is silly. And, and more than being silly, I think it takes away something that is really special about baseball. Because baseball, at the end of the day, acknowledges human ridiculousness in a way that other professional sports have ceased to do. <laughs> and I think, in, in ceasing to do so, have lost something. Mm. So, mm. so I'm not happy about it. Well, I was having a conversation this very weekend with our mutual friend and much-respected much colleague, Ben Camp. Indeed. Um, I have who, no respect for him. Well, uh, he, he for, the, for the Baltimoreans faithful out there, is one of those uh, esteemed gentlemen in my life who does not understand my passion or interest in the Baltimore Orioles <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, and, in fact, does not particularly understand sports or an interest in anything along these lines. And I was trying to describe to him um, exactly what it was that people were so ginned up about in terms of Alex Rodriguez. Um, 
And he 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 made the point, um, I think, rightly that wouldn't Alex Rodriguez have been a pretty good baseball player even if he didn't use all these drugs? And I was forced to admit that yes, in fact, he was probably going to be one of the greatest baseball players if he didn't <laughs> use all these drugs. Uh, and then Ben followed up with a question of, so aren't all the rules of baseball arbitrary? <laughs> Is there baseball in nature? <laughs> this is my point. <laughs> and I was forced to admit that no. In fact, given a, uh, a fairly arbitrary set of things, uh, baseball does not, unlike, say, a sprint in which you are trying to see who would be the fastest and thus maybe who would escape the bear if you were to be running away from an animal in the wild. <laughs> you're, you're hard-pressed to find a similar analogy of survival of the fittest that corresponds in any way to nine innings, uh, you know, Four balls, three strikes, right. etc. Right. right. So, given that we've already accepted these entirely arbitrary set of rules, an entirely arbitrary set of regulations, why do we seek to alter them at all? Right. Well, let's look now, at the... F- oh, I sorry. would put forward, though, that there is a feeling in, in watching sports, and I, uh, maybe even more than yourself, am um, sort of a... Uh, a connoisseur of all things sporting mm-hmm. and um, managed to find myself swept up, as I've mentioned before, in everything from um, professional baseball to horse dancing to <laughs> curling to soccer. If the if the energy and the competition is right. It's true, ladies and gentlemen. You should see this man pop wood for a dressage. <laughs> <laughs> That's the meanest thing I've ever said to you, and I apologize. <laughs> Me and Mitt Romney. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I would say that there is no feeling in sports worse than feeling like you were robbed by an arbitrary set of things. Like, if you get beaten, it sucks. When when uh, Raul Labanez hits a home run in the ninth and then a home run in the, in the 11th to beat the Baltimore Orioles, there's, there's, that, is a, that is a true gut punch. But it doesn't quite rank to me with the, say, the situation in which you just get jobbed by the Blues. Mm -hmm. And I would say that considering that it's all arbitrary anyway, there is a level of losing that personally goes beyond the opposition beating me and moves into just the, oh, God damn it, why do I like sports at all (laughs) if it's just this fucking arbitrary sort of thing that I think you could eliminate by taking out that one piece of the puzzle. I see that. I acknowledge it. (laughs) I have respect for it. But I would counter by saying, isn't that also what keeps you coming back? Mm. Isn't isn't the the arbitrariness and the unpredictability of what's going to happen the thing that makes you think maybe this year? Because that's what I would say is the case. And when you look at instant replay as an example, we have cameras now, and you can tell this if you've ever watched a baseball game on television, that could make literally every call that an umpire makes. They could call every ball and strike Mm -hmm. with the Nissan pitch track or whatever it is. They could use the Exmo to determine if a ball was fair or foul. They could call whether or not a player went around on a half swing. Um, they could make all these calls for us. And I bet we're at a place where if it's, if they couldn't do it now, we're not too far away from a place where they could do it in real time. Mm. We could have some kind of system where you smack a ball down the line and there's a camera watching it. And when it hits the ground, the camera goes bing and lights up green and the players know that ball's fair. If it goes red, then it's foul. Right. That, that sounds like a dystopia, right? To To describe that. We want the umpires to continue to be human beings. Well, we could give the umpires Google Glass. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's not a good idea. <laughs> no. Because then they'd be they'd be sitting there while they're supposed to be calling balls and strikes watching umpire porn. And oh, we wouldn't God. even know it was happening. <laughs> that is simultaneously definitively the uh, title of this week's show and the most disturbing image I've had this week. I think it's probably just regular porn, but everybody's wearing a mask. Like a like an umpire oh. face mask. Phew. And pads. I thought it was porn, porn only involving the incredibly overweight 70-year-old man who crouched behind plates. Oh, oh. yeah, that's horrible <laughs> to think about. <laughs> Well, that, that is an excellent segue to the Orioles' designated hitter situation. <laughs> um, hey, we are now 30 minutes into this podcast and mentioned the Baltimore Orioles for the first time. I think this is, uh, this is a new record for fastest <laughs> to mentioning the Orioles. Um, so, so you may have noticed this, Alan, but uh, we, recently, we recently demoted back to AAA uh, the gentleman who we had been told was our, was our, our greatest hope for a viable designated hitter this year, mm. Henry Urudia. Mm-hmm. Now, Henry Urudia's performance this season uh, has left people um, wondering uh, wh- how on earth he was the best we could have we could have uh, put on the field mm. because he did so so terribly. Mm. And in fact, it's 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 raised a number of other questions in my mind, um, and I wanted to see if you could you could help me answer them. Okay. Um, the first question is, uh, what do you call Henry Arudia when he is eating cubes <laughs> of bread in a warm cheese sauce? Uh, I don't know. Henry Fondurudia. <laughs> the next question that, that it raised for me that I think <laughs> this is probably true for everybody is, is what do you call Henry Arudia when he is making music by buzzing his lips into a plastic tube? Uh, I don't know. Henry Kazurudia. <laughs> Kazurudia, of course. And and then once I answered that question, I started thinking, well, what do you call Henry Urudia when he is uh, mainlining a sickly green colored soft drink in an attempt to stay up all night and finish his history thesis? Mountain Dew Rudia? That is, that, <laughs> that was the answer that I came to as well. All right, all right. And then, you know, this, this led to just... An embarrassment of, of other questions. For okay. example, um, what do you call Henry Arudia when he is playing for a major league soccer team in Middle America? Uh, I should know the answer to this one, but I don't. Henry Columbus Crudia. And then, uh, of course, uh, you know, speaking speaking of uh, of Middle America, where there are a number of universities, that wasn't the segue I intended to do. Um, <laughs> What do you call the instrument Henry Arudia played during a period of self-discovery in college? Uh, Digitarudia? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, Digitarudia. What do you call... Digitarudia. Yeah. Uh, Digiridurudia. Digiridurudia. Oof. That's yeah. a mouthful. Another potential title there. Okay, good. But, but if we've just accused people of not being able to type baltimoreonspodcast.com, <laughs> we're really just... We're we're asking for the moon as we I spike can't the stars. I can't even say the word. So, <laughs> uh, what do you call Henry Arudia when he is behaving like a hapless, bespectacled cartoon character? I don't know. Henry Mister Magoo Rudia. <laughs> what do you call Henry Arudia when he is studying Buddhism in the mountains of Nepal? Um, I don't know. Henry Katmandu Rudia. <laughs> What do you call Henry Arudia, or what do you call Henry Arudia's favorite part of the sequence in Austin Powers where they remove Austin from cryogenic freezing? Henry Warm Liquid Gurudia. And finally, Alan, I think the, the real question 
is what do you call the number of times Henry Arudia pulled the ball in 2013? Zerudia? Henry Two. Two. All right. Now, well, what do you call the replacement level player that has now come back to the roster in replacement of Henry Arudia? Uh, Danny Valencia. Steve Pierce. (laughs) Yes. I'm very excited for the return of Steve Pierce. So you are. I am sad to see Henry go, but more excited to see Steve Pierce return. Well, Alan, the only thing worse than uh, the puns that I just subjected you to (laughs) is the slash line that has been put up Mm. by the Orioles at DH this year. And it leads to uh, this issue that that is currently being discussed. Report on MLBTradeRumors.com this week that the Orioles are still looking for a DH, but are lukewarm on Morneau. We're somewhat interested in Reynolds. Uh, Didn't Reynolds become a Yankee? He did become a Yankee, which I am fine with. Yeah. Because Mark Reynolds can neither hit or field. No. And we know this in Baltimore. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are saying, oh, we ne- we needed another bat. But that Mark Reynolds is not that bat. Nope. He's not. Um, Canerco is available, but Canerco is an old, broken man. <laughs> Adam Dunn is available, but we really don't need another left-handed power hitter who strikes out too much. Michael Young, I would be interested in, but we're going to have to give up too much to get him. Mm. And really, when it comes down to it, I think the smartest option is to, assuming he can get back to the major leagues without another part of his body getting hurt, is to give Wilson Bediman another shot. Yep. Don't let him hit against left-handed pitchers. Ever. Well, so we have Danny Valencia. <laughs> exactly. Who has been fine against left-handed pitchers. <laughs> but the thing is, the production out of the DH slot has been so low right. that even if Wilson Bediment comes back and moves the needle a little bit, if he nudges the on-base percentage over 300, if he nudges the batting average up to 230. Ooh, to dream the impossible dream. But, but when you think about it, really, we're, we're talking about points on a margin that it's true the Orioles need bet, a better DH, but the team offensively has pretty much been fine this year, right? Offense right. has not been the issue. The issue has been... <laughs> pitching in the sixth inning right <laughs> and it's a grim place and jim johnson and yeah. you could argue also uh uh hitting uh in the clutch though we're, we're hitting well with runners in scoring position we have a prodigious talent right. for leaving the bases loaded but but i don't really think that um making a big splash at dh is the thing that's going to take us across the finish line we need our pitchers to pitch in to the seventh inning reliably and we need our putative closer to get over whatever is going on or accept the fact that there's no such thing as a closer (laughs) and give up the job to Darren O'Day or Tommy Hunter or Francisco Rodriguez. These are the the pressing concerns. If we can move the needle by a couple of percentage points in batting average and on base percentage, it doesn't even have to be slugging. We are set for slugging uh, at designated hitter. We're going to be okay. I think Wilson Bedemitt's going to do that. I think because Dan Duquette has been willing to step up and make some moves this year, we're a little Mm. move happy. Um, But we don't need to give up what we would have to give up to get Michael Young or Justin Morneau or Paul Canerco or even Adam Dunn. We just don't. And I think that uh, the much more pressing and important point is that we need to win starting tonight. Yep. 
and going forward. Yeah. Time to go on that run, boys. <laughs> time to, to any anytime you guys want to uh, recapture a little bit of the August magic, or was it September? Ma- I, I mean, late all August, of last year was late magic. August, late August, early September is when the magic happened. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, let's have a conversation with Matt Freed right here on the program this evening. Um, Matt is, as we as we alluded to, uh, a fantasy baseball maven, a a Philly enthusiast, uh, and someone with very strong feelings about Ruben Amaro Jr. And uh, 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 also strong feelings about the recently deposed Charlie Manuel. He joins us now. Right, morons. We are on the line with the extremely braggadocious <laughs> current current standings leader in Alan and I's fantasy league, Matt Freed, who also uh, is a credentialed card carrying member of the Philadelphia Phillies Nation. What do you, uh, Matt? What yeah. do Phillies fans call call themselves? Uh, miserable mostly. <laughs> um, it is a it is a badge that you wear with pride. It is a badge to be worn with pride, and the funny thing about it is that um, it's amazing how winning a World Series for the first time in 25 years causes widespread amnesia of the 25 years of, of more or less complete just oblivion that preceded the World Series win as well. Um, to answer your question originally, Sam, I would say that basically uh, we call ourselves Phillies fans, the fight and fills. Or as I said, we just call ourselves miserable one okay. way or the other. I didn't know if you had like a like a filibusters or um, um, <laughs> film film buffs. Uh, any, anything? I think I think as long I think we just call ourselves sexy. Uh, we often call ourselves sexy because All right. you All know. Right. Slow it down, Freed. Slow it down. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just you wanted you wanted to know what we call ourselves. We call ourselves sexy from time to time. All right, uh, sexy. Well, we got some questions for you here. <laughs> On Here the show go. tonight. I got a question for you, too, Dingman, oh. uh, at the right time. Uh-oh. I got a real big question for you, actually. Flipping the script on us. All right. It is yeah. It is definitely true, though, that um, in the pantheon of all-weather fans, uh, of, of some of the most tested and time-honored and true fans, you got to put the Phillies fans up there. Um, you have not always, I would say, born losing with grace and aplomb, but <laughs> they do keep coming back which is, I think, to the city of Philadelphia's undying credit. It's true. I mean, I remember there was a period after that 93 season where it was just kind of like you could just pencil in a good 80 losses for the Phillies, no question, just right there, no question whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Roughly, I would say that stretch from 94 till about 2006. It was a pretty bleak time to be a Phillies fan. Now, what year did Charlie Manuel become your manager? I want to say 06, 07. Why, altogether. what an excellent segue, Matt <laughs> Yay! Because, so this is, this is a question I want to ask you. As a diehard, as a diehard filibuster, um, was the... Sexy what, filibuster. Sex, oh, fine. Sexy filibuster. <laughs> um, in, your, in your little hot-panted mind, uh, <laughs> was the Charlie Manuel firing too soon, too late, or perfectly timed? 
It got me really worked up in my hot pants, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> Why did I bring up hot pants? <laughs> it's just going to get know, worse Sam, from here. Look, look, Sam, you got you got the reins around my mouth. I'm just going where you lead me. Um, we're gonna we're next. We're gonna be on boulder holders. It's, we're going bad places here. Uh, I thought it was an incredibly bad taste altogether. I, uh, you know, the, I the firing think of Charlie Manuel, right? Not the boulder holder thing. Not the boulder holder. Okay. I'm talking about Charlie Manuel, although I can talk boulder holders in a matter of moments. Let's, let's, um, let's, let's, let's stick with Charlie for the moment in, yeah. in, in respect to his great years of service. <laughs> I thought it was an incredible bad taste altogether because my first question that I have as a Phillies fan and as a sports fan is what exactly as an organization are you trying to accomplish altogether? Because first of all, there was already talk that this was probably going to be Charlie's last season anyway. Um, it's kind of no secret that he hasn't been happy with the uh, roster that Amaro has been acquiring for him, at least over the last two seasons. So my question to, my question to Amaro and the Phillies organization is, by getting rid of Charlie with at least a decent month or so left in the season, what are you, what what are you really trying to do there? I mean, okay, great. We've got Ryan Sandberg now as our interim manager. What's that really going to accomplish? We're already below five hundred. Um, you know, there's no question that there's a lot of rebuilding that still has to happen. So why not just let the guy finish out the season and then leave on peaceable terms? You know, because he's probably going to leave one way or the other. So why not just why not just let the season play out the way it is? You already have a mess of a team as it is. Just let the season yeah. end and take care of all of it in December, which right. would have been the dignified thing to do. Well, that, that to me is the thing that's so sad about the whole situation is Charlie Manuel, obviously a classy guy, obviously a guy that players love to play for, uh, and obviously a very capable manager when you when you give him a, de- a halfway decent team. Uh, yes. I think the, the problem um, with this whole situation is that they uh, they have to make a change somewhere, and nobody's taken the Cliff Lee contract, nobody's taken the Ryan Howard contract, and nobody is taking the Papelbon contract. So, yeah. uh, th- but they have to do something to turn the ship around, and he's the cheapest man to get rid of. He's the cheapest yet most high-profile change to make, which I just think is so so sad because really Amaro, Howard, Papelbon, and arguably Cliff Lee are the ones who need to go. Yes. I would I would only argue that keeping Cliff Lee would be worth it just because of the fact that what you're getting out of Cliff Lee as both a pitcher and the fact that he's already into his early and mid thirties and he's still pitching relatively well enough to last us at least another two seasons, I would argue he's the one that you would need to keep. Especially because the fact is is that um Sure, but look, but just to say but, my rebuttal to that would be uh a year and a half ago I would have been saying the same thing about Roy Halliday. Uh, just bringing up sore <laughs> subjects left and right, aren't you, Sam? <laughs> Ultimately, I, I will agree. I think the biggest problem that I had with the direction of the team was going and happened right around the time of the Roy Oswald trade. Which, and the biggest issue that I had with that was was I just said to myself, like, that's great that we're getting Roy Oswald. That's a lot to pay for a guy who is nowhere near the caliber of pitcher that um, Halliday is altogether, right? And then on top of that, too, when we went out, we did sign Cliff Lee, which I was very happy about, having been a huge fan of Cliff Lee's performance when he became a Philly the first time around. My first thought was, 
that's a lot of money to be spending on pitching. That's a lot of money to be spending on pitching, especially when there is statistical evidence that hitting has been on a decline for the last several years post-steroids era in Major League Baseball. And I thought it was great that we had Cliff Lee back on the team, but as a fan of the team overall, I just thought that that was very uh, uneven waters to be moving into, to have four pitchers, but to not necessarily have a lineup that was going to support them. Because if you remember at the same time, this is when Chase Utley began to really experience knee problems, and this was also when Ryan Howard was beginning to stop being Ryan Howard. And uh, this, it, was, it, it just sort of struck me as like, this was, that was when I got the first sense as a Phillies fan that um, we were beginning to spend a lot of money in the wrong places. Yeah, sure. So my, my question, uh, and this is, I guess, we, we, we listed people who, who have to go maybe or for, for the Phillies to begin the rebuilding process, but it seems as though for a while, Ruben Amaro had sort of a vision and he was mm. building a team and he was building a champion. And then it started to be that he was maybe spending a little bit too much, as you're reflecting here on a couple of key pieces, but you still had the sense he was building a contender. Uh-huh. In the last couple of years, it feel like it switched over to Ruben Amaro being the last person in a bar demanding that someone give him more alcohol and taking sort of drunk swings at everyone around him. <laughs> because he's and, Ruben Amaro, damn it. And I, and I wonder, you know, is this a situation in which he is a good GM with a few key pieces to get between a good team and a great team, but not a good GM in a rebuilding structure? Or is he just, did he just get lucky with a couple of key moves at some point and he's actually something of a, of a, uh, a, a terrible mo- baseball mind? Frankly, I could go on a long hour rant about this. Um, <laughs> I would argue that Ruben Amaro from the knowledge that I know and from the way I've seen a lot of his moves play out, uh, should not be a general manager in Major League Baseball <laughs> altogether. Uh, I, I would honestly say... And that's, that's, that's your measured way of saying that's it. That's my okay. measured way of saying it. Look, does, look I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that the guy didn't deserve a shot at being a GM. I'm not saying that. Um, I do think that it's become very painfully clear at this point that for whatever reason... He is a he is a manager whose moves have not played out, and in my understanding of it, he made a lot of decisions dictated by based on market value versus doing any actual statistical research into anything. I actually heard Keith Law say at the beginning of the season that Ruben Amaro takes a lot of pride, a lot of ignorant pride, um, in not being a very sabermetric, progressive um, uh, GM. And not really investing any time or energy in getting to understand advanced statistics or even basic statistics uh, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to the Phillies, and they tout that. And I think that's kind of evidence in the fact that we signed Delman Young, who, if I recall correctly, I believe it was at the beginning of this past year, he had something like a two ninety eight on base percentage, right? And and we were prepared to give him, uh, we were prepared to give him a starting outfielder job. Right. Um, I think if you want the blunder, I think if you want blunder upon blunder, there's your evidence right there. Yeah. To say nothing of the man's personal politics. <laughs> to say nothing of the man's personal politics. So, so I mean, it, you know, it, it's interesting to hear you say this because you talk about 298 on base percentages, and uh, mm-hmm. we have to be careful with how we phrase our feelings about this because uh, Mr. J.J. Hardy is currently hovering right around... <laughs> 
<laughs> that uh, that lovely threshold. But the difference with J.J. Hardy is that it's gold glove defense. Um, yes. And uh, he's also hitting a lot of home runs and driving in a lot of runs, neither of which Delman Young was doing. So, I, you know, I'm not somebody who thinks that, and I think we maybe differ on this a little bit, I'm not somebody who thinks that front office decisions need to be 100% guided by sabermetric analysis, but the willful disregard of them um, in the name of building... I, I mean, to me, I think Ruben Amaro's motivation was that he wanted to be the next John Sherholtz. And mm-hmm. I think he looked at this as an opportunity to say, if I sign Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee and we have Cole Hamels here, then people are going to think about the Phillies like they thought about the Braves in the 90s. It's mm. going to be the best pitching rotation in 20 years, and everybody's going to think I'm a genius for having put it together. And I think that's about as as far as he looked at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say that's excellent, because frankly, you know, you go back to the 2009 postseason after we had lost the World Series to the Yankees, this was who we had on our team right now. We had, I mean, we basically had the entire 2008 team in their prime, save for Pat Burrell. And on our pitching staff, we had Cole Hamels, Cliff Lee, and Pedro Martinez. Um, and there was talk, I remember at the time, that, that Cliff Lee wanted to stay. But if you really go back, and if you, uh, Amaro was really hell-bent on still trying to make this holiday deal happen. And there was no evidence at the time. And since then, there's been no evidence that having more than, I think, two ace or like borderline ace pitchers translated into a World Series title. I mean, that was the year after, you know, the Giants went on to win the World Series with uh, Lincecum and Kane uh, as, you know, on their mound. And then just a list of, of guys who were just supporting guys after that. Lincecum, and Kane, then, and Pray for Rain, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then in uh, 2011, you had the Cardinals. And that was the year, I believe, that Chris Carpenter was the ace of the staff. They didn't have Wainwright at the time. Or did they? No, they didn't have Wainwright at the no, time No, he was hurt. Well. He was hurt. He was hurt. That was the year that he was out on Tommy John. So it's funny because at the time, you would understand why he would go after Holiday. But I look back on it now with a little bit of historical perspective. And I do say to myself, we had Cliff Lee and we had Cole Hamels. Cliff Lee wanted to come back. Pedro Martinez wanted to come back. We did perfectly fine going into the postseason with that rotation. I do wonder to myself, why did we have to bring in Roy Halladay with all that money? And why did bringing in Roy Halladay also mean that we had to give up Cliff Lee and we had to do this big, ridiculous trade that was so overwrought? And he ends up going to the Mariners in the first place that didn't really even have a lot of use for him altogether. Um, it struck me. It strikes me as excessive. And a lot of the deals he's done since then have also struck me as excessive. I mean... For God's sake, we, we had a 102-win season in 2010, and it was evident that the bats went cold when postseason came around, that hitting was beginning to become a glaring necessity on our team, and he goes out and he spends $50 million to bring in Jonathan Papelbon, right. who, as we all know, is the goodwill ambassador of Major League Baseball. I mean, that guy, <laughs> if there's one guy who can unite a locker room, let's get Papelbon in there. Well, and as fantasy baseball has taught us, let alone uh, what we observe in the major leagues, paying for saves is always a really, really good strategy. Totally. Sure. Such a good strategy. I can't think of anything better than going out and spending $50 million on a player whose use is completely situational. I, I think that's such a that's such a wise thing. Let's go out and spend $50 million on a guy 
who is only going to be brought out to the mound if we're winning. I think that's a that's a really smart strategy altogether. Right. Um, so I guess I guess then kind of as a way of 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 concluding here, the 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 question is, um, is a dark period in Philadelphia inevitable? I mean, is are are you guys just going to have to play out the string behind these unmovable backbreaking contracts, or is there a way to thread the needle? Um, or is the way of threading the needle putting Amaro out on his ass? I would love to see Amaro out on his ass, personally. Um, <laughs> just because I think he's done... I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, because I think if they're willing to scapegoat Charlie Manuel and keep Ruben Amaro, I think that's the Phillies organization making it very clear that they're happy with putting butts in seats versus actually playing winning baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a dark period is is ahead just because... We have these players who are also very clearly in decline. I don't have as much of a problem with the Utley deal. I think that's fine, especially based on the way that he's played recently. Well, and comparatively, but it's peanuts. It's peanuts, exactly. But I think we're stuck with Howard for the long haul. I could see us moving Papelbon maybe in the last year of his contract when we're going to be absorbing three quarters. We've already absorbed three quarters of the contract in the first place. Sure. But I think the damage done here from a payroll point of view uh, it, it's going to hold the team back for a while. And the fact is, is that, like, look, I love the Phillies. We were never a winning baseball team to begin with. Right. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we're now in the situation where we have money being spent in all the wrong places, and we frankly have the wrong guy in the front office, you know, pushing the buttons in the first place. I never thought that we would be sitting here doing an interview with you, Matt Freed, Phillies fan, looking at the beginning of a downward spiral for the Phillies as the Orioles are ascendant. So, I mean, I guess what I'd really like to say in closing is uh, booyah. (laughs) Um, Well, also, uh, as a representative of the all-weather fan base, we welcome the Phillies back with open arms. Yes, yes. Well, that's the thing. We know that you, Matt, all kidding aside, are the type of person who is going to be with the team through uh, however thin this period is before the ensuant thick. So uh, what I would like to say is, uh, you know, stock up on uh, rolled golds and utzes. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, uh, it, I hope it's not 15 years for you, too. <laughs> oh, it'll, it's going to be a while. It was a good run while it lasted. It was a really good run while it lasted. And unfortunately... I was hoping we'd get a couple more years out of it, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, we, we won a World Series a few years ago. I mean, the, I mean, there's not, I can't, you can't really complain there altogether. Yeah. yeah. That and being when it, said. When it gets cold at night, you can just pull that rally towel over your, over your trembling form as you cry <laughs> yourself to sleep. All right, Matt Freed. That's how I sleep. <laughs> Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Freed is a writer in Los Angeles. That's not what he told us to say. He told us to say he's an aspiring writer and reluctant Angelino. Uh, <laughs> but I'd like to pump him up a little bit more than that. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm writing a book right now. Um, I'll hopefully have that finished up by the end of the year. Uh, we'll be publishing that on Amazon later on. Nice. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very exciting. I'm, uh, I'm very excited for it. It's called The Survivalist. Well, people, and uh, yeah, man, now it's just me uh, out here in L.A. Uh, trying to get my foot in the door somewhere. Well, uh, now you're on uh, what is known as the Baltimore on's fame rocket ship. So yes! <laughs> look, for, look for a few more Twitter followers in the ensuing days. It only took it only took two years and I'm so excited <laughs> 
so excited to finally be on it. And actually, do we have time for one more thing that I want to ask you, Sam Digman? What, it, what, what would you like to ask me? So as the listeners know, Sam, Allen, and I are all in a fantasy baseball league. Sam, I've got one question for you. No, you cannot have Manny Machado. <laughs> no, no. The question for you, my question for you is because it puzzles me to this day. You traded away Chris Davis for Matt Moore. Yes. You traded away the home run leader in the league for a man who could walk an entire lineup in a single game if he had the power. <laughs> well, what were you think? And you traded him to the man that you co-host this podcast with. What were you thinking? What well, were you thinking? Uh, lest I, I hope none of our listeners are listening right now when I admit that in May when I made that deal, I thought it was still somewhat likely that Chris Davis was due for a Mark Reynolds style <laughs> regression. While I am thrilled that that didn't work out, I thought at the time trading him for the early season uh, American League Cy Young favorite was not a bad move. Um, it turns out... <laughs> That I was, uh, that my fantasy season has gone into the toilet, but the the Orioles are still uh, uh, living on a wing and a prayer. So plugging along, plugging along. I'm happy with the I'm happy with the karmic trade. You know what? I'm uh, I'm pulling for your Orioles. I really am. Uh, I want to see. I would love to see uh, the Orioles and the Tigers duke it out over the playoffs. I think that'd be a fun series to watch. From your hot pants to God's g-string, sir. <laughs> All right, Matt Fried, we will talk to you next time. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Guys, thank you for having me. This was a blast. The home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman saying farewell to you for the week, Baltimoreans. Thank you for joining us once again. We, uh, as per usual, you submitted wonderful things to us in terms of comments and ideas. As per usual, we talked far too long to get to them. Yes. So uh, tune in next week for some of the fantastic contributions from the greater audience at large. And probably no more Henry Arudia puns. But maybe some more. I mean, I'm fairly certain that uh, uh, intern Scotty is going through looking to see if we'd missed any. Yes. I don't think he'll find them, but if they're there, he'll be on the case. If you, ladies and gentlemen, have any Henry Rudy puns of your own that you would like to send our way, we would welcome them. We would welcome them. Please visit us with that feedback or any other feedback at bemorons.com, your new home. For all things Baltimoreans, again, it's the same home. <laughs> it's just easier to get there now. Uh, you can go there and click on contact, find out all the ways to get in touch with us, and you can also realize and know in your head the music that you heard on the show this week, <laughs> which is, in order, the theme song by Marshall York, the song Birdland by Weather Report as the interstitial music, and Behind Me Now, It's Kicking My Heart Around by the Black crows oh hey uh not only did sam do that flawlessly but <laughs> now that now that that's out of the way you should also go over to itunes and subscribe to baltimore on's podcast on itunes we are there and it would really actually help us out uh as your your friendly weekly subscriber of friendly weekly baltimore on's updates to have a few more subscriptions to the itunes superstore so you can go get birdland the interstitials uh, everything by the black crows and this very 
weekly podcast all through iTunes. It'll be the cheapest one of those things you do <laughs> if you're going to be in the iTunes store anyway. You may as well grab it for free. Thank you to all of you new subscribers who we've picked up lately. And ladies and gentlemen, if you do enjoy the show, and we mean this very sincerely, if you could be troubled to leave us a review uh, so that the other denizens of iTunes land can know how warm your feelings are about this show, that would also help us out very much too. So thank you again for tuning in. And this is probably the most you've ever heard of the uh, Black Crows kicking your heart around on the outro, meaning you've probably violated at least one um, term of use in terms of how much of the song you've used. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, big time. But we have been doing that since we started using the song on the show. Sure, sure. So uh, nothing to worry about there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you next week. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>